Welcome, 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 everyone, to another episode of Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. I've got a little bit of a itchy sore throat, and I'm not entirely sure what it's from, um, but I think it might be affecting my um, ability to deliver 100% here today. I do have a great show for you. It is October the 9th. And I'm delivering an interview in the Creature Feature segment that I've had, I've been sitting on for a little while. Um, partly because it was rather challenging to edit, um, and partly because I had some other um, more time-sensitive interviews that I wanted to sort of uh, get into the, the ether, as it were, um, and help sort of carry on promotion. Um, of time-sensitive, you know, released material and stuff. So I'm, I'm very glad that Heather has been patient for the release of this interview. But in Creature Feature, I'm going to be talking with uh, Heather, a, a, the wife of a very good friend of mine um, of, of many years. And the interview was... <laughs> it was interesting, to say the least, because we were... Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're friends, so we've been, you know, drinking and, and bullshitting and just sort of having a good time, and then, uh, you know, we decided to start the interview, and there was a lot of uh, rants in the middle of the interview, there was a lot of uh, diverted conversation and uh, laughing and, and stuff, so uh, it it may not be 100% perfect editing, <laughs> but I think I did pretty good. Uh, considering the point is 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 what she represents which is keepers i think is valuable and i think other people should know about it as well it's um her her own uh, personal business so look forward to that in the creature feature segment and please uh <laughs> look past some of the shoddy editing for the content because it is rather good I also wanted to talk again um, this week about the Greater Magic episode coming up Halloween week. Uh, it is on. We are ready to rock and roll with this bad boy. And I'm very excited for the format that is going to be presented in. We have some amazing panelists that I think the community as a whole uh, will be very pleased with. Uh, you know, just talking to them about rituals and stuff like that. If you want to ask a question, uh, this is really the time to be doing it. So I would suggest that you either email me at info at 9centspodcast.com or you can call my Google Voice line, 801-899-6168. However you contact me with that question, make sure that you leave your name 
in, in some, you know, your preferred method of me getting back to you if you are a winner, because yes, it is a contest. I'm going to be taking randomly two winners from this, and those two winners are going to get a signed copy of Gyps Fulvis's new release of his album, Nocturnes for Nightmares. This is an amazing um, soundtrack, ambient, classical music, f- horror, fright music um, CD. It's, it's, it's very terrifying. It's very exciting. It's really a, a powerful piece, and you're really going to want it, especially in this season. I think it's ideal. Uh, if you do give me a call, you can also drop in a bumper that I have at the top of every show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Uh, not everyone can remember the entire phrase correctly the first time, which is absolutely all right. I don't mind a little bit of fun. Uh, deliver it in whatever manner you feel comfortable delivering it. And I think that's what's important. Uh, in other news, I actually just barely, within the last hour, finished brewing um, an amber ale with another good friend of mine who, coincidentally, we also have a home brewing episode coming up that I'm going to be talking to um, uh, two of my buddies who actually got me into home brewing about. So look forward to that. It's actually been really nice. Um, man, this week has been crazy. We started working out um, a, a week ago. I mean, I used to work out all the time. I was in the army, and I, you know, just sort of carried through that exercise. I mean, even before the army, I always exercised with buddies. I mean, that was sort of our thing when we got together. I've never been a big person, though. Like, I don't ever bulk up. I define. So, you know, and I'm absolutely okay with that. I actually kind of prefer that. Um, The problem is, is that when you stop working out and age starts catching up, your metabolism starts slowing down, you begin to look like a melting popsicle. <laughs> it's just shit's like drooping, uh, where you don't want it to be drooping. So I got to a point where I'm just like, yeah, I've got to do something about, I want to look at myself in the mirror and uh, be like, yeah, that's right. You know, I don't. what I don't want to do is look in the mirror and be sucking in my own stomach, trying to fool myself that that's what I really look like. So, <laughs> I think, and um, it's always nice if your chosen partner doesn't puke in her mouth a little bit every time you take your shirt off. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but the point is, you know, I'm, I'm not comfortable with what I've turned into, so I'm doing something about it. Uh, so we've been working out. And what I always forget, every single time I go through this laxed period of working out is that when you start up again you have this agonizing aching soreness all around you so all last week my stomach I could not sit up straight because my stomach felt like I was actually doing 10 sit-ups at that exact same moment it was just like the, the muscles were so sore it hurt to straighten out so I was walking around like I was some oh I don't know like a like a pregnant woman or, or like a duck and, like, all of my joints were completely sore, my triceps and my, my lats and my, my biceps and my chest and everything, so I felt like I was just this, I don't know, Japanese automaton from the early 1990s, you know, just this sort of bulky Japanese automaton pregnant waddling duck creature, <laughs> like, just walking everywhere I had to go, because I just could not 
move like I had always wanted or had always moved before. I mean, the soreness is gone now. Everything's back to normal, and I'm still working out and stuff. So I'm pretty excited about getting back to where I was um, three years ago. But it is a lot of work, and you know what? For what? I mean, I would understand, like, if I was doing this for health, well, I wouldn't be doing it at all. I, I'm not... I'm not a terribly unhealthy individual to begin with, and me shedding 10 pounds is going to mean less than anything to my overall lifespan and health. Uh, so really, this is all just personal ego. You know, this is uh, m my personal expression and acceptance of my own aesthetics uh, and and the uh, the expression of that to other people and being comfortable with it. And one thing I learned early on uh, as a young man is that how you feel about yourself significantly impacts how other people see you. And this is really, as a grown man, a really base thing that you take for granted that everyone understands and accepts as a truth. It is a truth, but not everyone knows that yet. You even find grown men and women who don't understand this. Very basic tenet. Uh, I, I think if everyone read, I don't know, maybe the Satanic Bible or uh, the Satanic Witch, they might have a better understanding of it. But just on a base level of human being, if you feel good, you exhibit good feeling. You know, uh, there's a confidence about your walk and, and appearance. And that's attractive to a lot of people. That's why every once in a while you're going to see a really wretched-looking individual with a really beautiful-looking individual, because they're attracted, um, maybe potentially because of the opposites in appearance, but also because of the confidence that comes with that. Um, they overlook, um, potentially, um, what you may perceive as unattractive, you know? Uh, who knows what people do? Anyway, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> How about I talk about this show, shall I? In the Devil's Advocate, we're going to be talking about rapid individualism and satanic community. I've touched briefly on the satanic community concept before. I'm going to talk about it in a little different scope here. In the Infernal Informant, I think it's about time I address Occupy Wall Street. And Romney deflects questions on faith. And in Creature Feature, as I already mentioned, we're going to be talking to Heather about Keepers. See you there. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I'll raise up my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon, to the north and to the south. I show a sign proclaiming a death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. Can I get a hail Satan? I said, can I get a hail Satan? We are the Devil's Advocates. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. I wanted to talk about this concept. I'm one of those people that firmly believes in uh, looking within oneself. And that includes... Uh, looking within one's understanding and belief. One of the tenets of the Church of Satan is that we are um, rabid individualists. And this is absolutely true. And this is why you don't find an open um, series of cabals, uh, these open communities, 
of, of, of Satanists. Uh, I mean, there's a couple reasons, you know, why not. Uh, but part of it has to do with, I mean, okay, so, so I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. And I've met a number of Satanists who either claim to be Satanists because they've read and identified themselves within the Satanic Bible, or they're actually members that I agree with absolutely nothing <laughs> they believe or say outside of Satanism. <laughs> so I've met a number of people who would never want to hang out with me that are all fellow Satanists. Uh, we are a series of individuals who make no apologies about our opinions. We do not expect any quarter for our outlook or our actions. We understand responsibility, we understand law, and we act accordingly. And that scares other people, that upsets other people, that we don't buy into um, dogma that you know is so abundant in the herd. And that's why we call ourselves alien elite, because we are other than human. We are more than human. We we are a very self-actualized people as a whole. Um, and so when it comes to this idea of a satanic community, it's such um, an absurd notion. Um, and not just because of what a community implies. But you do find places where we congregate, where we gather and share opinions and ideas. And I've mentioned a number of these places in um, past episodes, so I won't go into detail here. But you do find groups of us, not just an organization that many of us affiliate ourselves with. I mean, even Satanists who are not members reach out to others of like mind. And it may not be a community in the grand sense. And it may not be a recognized community in the organizational sense. But it is very much a group of individuals of like mind who share ideas, sometimes in absolute opposition of each other, and sometimes sharing perspectives that are similar or exactly alike. And, and that's really like the grand part of, of being a Satanist, I like to think, is that, and I've said this many, many times, Satanism is this large tent, and you have such a, a vast, you have such a plethora of, of different individuals rabid individualists that fall under that tent. And of that whole, you do find some that do really like to reach out to others of like mind, other alien elite, as it were, and collaborate in project or share ideas. So when you hear this this discussion of, well, there is no satanic community. Well, no, there's not any organized structural one. No, not at all. But there are groups of Satanists that gather to that, together, that, that, that gather and, and discuss and talk. 
um, you know, share their lives. And is that a community? You know, how broad are we casting our terminology here, our definitions? Um, I just think it's fascinating because, and if you want to be, you know, perspective, not having perspective is a sin here. So this is where I come from in, in, in evaluating carte blanche statements like this. There is no satanic community. You know, because there are, uh, there are degrees so, you know, the satanic community that everyone understands, well, that's the Church of Satan. Um, and then, outside of that, members who are very, very devote to this um, philosophy, like myself, who are members, uh, we still like to gather in other avenues and, and talk and share and collaborate. And it's encouraged. Uh, but it is a sort of, you know, false idea that it just doesn't happen that because we're rabid individualists, we never get together or we never agree on anything. It's just not a reality. I mean, we do get together. We do communicate with each other. Um, and no, we don't always agree. And that's the greatness of it. What I, what I think, and really all of the structure of the organization itself stands for is that there's no need for an exterior open community. Here, here. I'm, I'm not down with that at all. There's no reason to out the members. I absolutely agree as well. Um, everyone has a right to uh, their personal expression and belief, and whether that's public or not. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of just what I wanted to talk about. It's just sort of that idea that it doesn't exist, but then on one hand, it kind of does. I mean, there's no supported anything by the organization, and the organization, the Church of Satan itself as a whole, doesn't go out and, and approve and disapprove of, of different groups of individuals who gather and discuss and talk and share and collaborate. I mean, it, it doesn't really work like that at all. But it is that idea that we are rabid individualists, but we are still social creatures. And I love sort of that juxtaposition of, of, of expression, you know. I love that as a part of us and how you can have that. And that doesn't detract. It actually enhances what and who we are. I mean, if you were to look for that in other organizations, whether it's um, Judeo-Islamic or Christian, having rabid individualism is a cancer. Um, and we see it as a strength, a virtue, even. That's who we are. I, I, I think that's great, and, and it's, a, it's a huge differentiating factor. And uh, that's what I wanted to bring up and just sort of uh, share, just my own little opinion there. Um, let's go ahead and move over into the Infernal Informant. Warriors of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the infernal moment. I think it's about time I talk about Occupy Wall Street. I tend to come a little late to these things. 
because I'm, I'm not entirely sure what it meant, to be quite honest. And so, because I still don't fully understand it, I want to go on that journey together. You and me, hand in hand. Or actually, mouth to ear, as it were. And we're going to go to OccupyWallStreet.org in an article section called September Revolution. All the people in the media that I've been seeing have been saying that this is just a group of hippies, this is just a group of uneducated, uh, infantile individuals who need to get a damn job, and they're really uneducated, and they don't really know, they don't have a solid idea. So what I found is, on their website, a modest call to action on this September 17th. And this is the first time I'm reading this, so this is going to tell us whether or not they really do have an idea of of what they're talking about. And there's a lot of comparison between Occupy Wall Street movement and the Tea Party movement. One is focused on small government, and the other one is, I believe, focused on the... uh, Well, you know what? Let's let them talk for themselves. This is posted September 17, 2011, 9.46 p.m. Eastern Time by Occupy Wall Street. This statement is ours, and for everyone who will get behind it, representing ourselves, not the movement as a whole. We bring this call for revolution. We want freedom for all, without regards for identity, because we are all people, and because no other reason should be needed. However, this freedom has been largely taken from the people and slowly made to trickle down whenever we get angry. Money, it has been said, has taken over politics. In truth, we say money has always been a part of the capitalist political system, a system based on the existence of have and have-nots, where inequality is inherent to the system, will inevitably lead to a situation where the haves find a way to rule, whether by the sword or by the dollar. We agree that we need to see election reform. However, the election reform proposed ignores the causes which allowed such a system to happen. Some will readily blame the Federal Reserve, but the political system has been beholden to political machinations of the wealthy well before its founding. We need to address the core facts. These corporations, even if they were unable to compete in the electoral arena, would still remain control of society. They would retain economic control, which would allow them to retain political control. Term limits would, again, not solve this, as many in the political class already leave politics to find themselves as part of the corporate elites. We need to retake the freedom that has been stolen from the people altogether. 1. If you agree that freedom is the right to communicate, to live, to be, to go, to love, to do what you will without the imposition of others, then you might be one of us. 2. If you agree that a person is entitled to the sweat of their brows, that being talented at management should not entitle others to act like overseers and overlords, and that all workers should have the right to engage in decisions democratically, then you might be one of us. 3. If you agree that freedom for some is not the same as freedom for all, 
and that freedom for all is the only true freedom, then you might be one of us. Four, if you agree that power is not right, that life trumps property, then you might be one of us. Five, if you agree that state and corporation are merely two sides of the same impressive power structure, if you realize how media distorts things to preserve it, how it pits the people against the people to remain in power, then you might be one of us. And so we call on people to act. One, we call for protests to remain active in cities. Those already there to grow, to organize, to raise consciousness for those cities where there are no protests, for protests to organize and disrupt the system. Two, we call for workers to not only strike, but seize their workplaces collectively and organize them democratically. We call for students and teachers to act together to teach democracy, not merely the teachers to the students, but the students to the teachers, to seize the classroom and free minds together. Three, we call for the unemployed to volunteer, to learn, to teach, to use what skills they have to support themselves as part of the revolting people as a community. Four, we call for the organization of people's assemblies in every city, every public square, every township. Five, we call for the seizure and the use of abandoned buildings, of abandoned land, of every property seized and abandoned by speculators for the people, for every group that will organize them. We call for a revolution of the mind as well as the body politic. I've got some real problems with this group. Um, you know, and, and here's sort of the problem when it comes to politics. Uh, and that's why, as a Satanist, I find it impossible to identify with um, one structure, one organization. And this kind of falls back to that whole idea of, of rabid individualism. Because these, this group, this Occupy Wall Street, um, does not 100% represent anything I stand for. There are parts of it that I may agree with, but as a whole, there's a lot that I don't agree with. And this is going to go for, as far as the Tea Party. This goes as far as the Republican machine. This goes as far as the Democratic machine. I have never found a party that I, I'm 100% behind. I'm not entirely sure I want to. Uh, so I'm not really looking. But when I see stuff like this, I feel obligated to sort of talk about it a little bit. So um, if you agree with the freedom or if you agree that freedom is the right to communicate, to live, to be, to go, to love, to do what you will without the imposition of others, then you might be one of us. Okay, that's great. But you have to have law. And this is to avoid anarchy. So I understand that people want to do what the hell they want to do and they don't want anyone looking over them. But if we're going to live in a society, well, then you have to have the laws that have been a part of society since the dawn of time, and that's law. Uh, if you agree that a person is entitled to sweat the brow, that being talented at management should not entitle others to act as overseers and overlords, that all workers should have the right to engage in decisions democratically. Well, no, that's not the case. Because what's that, what, what, what that's saying is that in every aspect of, of work, there should be either a union or a socialist agenda. That all work should be this democratically agreed upon thing. And you cannot have that if you're going to have competition, if you're going to have success. Because we as Satanists may be rabid individualists, but everyone out there is an entitled prince.
prick. So everyone thinks that they should have this or they should have that. You have to allow a company to define for themselves a mission, an agenda, and a path to fill it. Otherwise, there's no point in creating a business. And there's no way a business would exist in this environment that they're saying is the ideal. Uh, if you agree that power is not right, that life trumps property, oh, bullshit. This is unbelievable bullshit. Might has and always will be right. <laughs> and I can't help but see parallels in religion in these uh, tenets that they're expressing here. Um, if you agree that power is not right, power is right. Is it, is it fair? Well, that's another thing all entirely. And that may actually be what they're meaning by right. But that's not what they're saying. So, for the person on the other end of a powerful individual, they may not think it's right or fair. Um, but that's how life is. That's how it's always been. Some people, through their own hard work, through uh, their, their uh, ancestral existence, have been on top and exhibit power over people who have not had such a, a wonderful um, setup to life or have not worked as hard. And there's nothing right or wrong about it. That's, that's reality. So you can argue it, you can debate it, but it doesn't matter because that's reality. Some people will have power because they worked for it or they were born to it. Some people will not. If you don't like it, do something about it. But don't cry about it. If you agree that the state and corporation are merely two sides of the same oppressive power structure, uh, and if you realize how media distorts things to preserve it, I don't, and, and I may actually be alone in this one, I don't think, outside of maybe um, the organization of Fox News and MSNBC, that the media as a collective, that the, the media machine worldwide all promotes some sort of agenda to pit us against each other. I think that's ends. I think that's what ends up happening a lot of the time. But I don't think that's the. That's not the start point. I think because of the way we humans are are wired, that that's how it ends up. But I don't think we start there, and I think it's a little conspiratorial to to insinuate that. Okay, so um, they call for protests to run active in cities. You know, here's my take on these protests. I'm not a victim. I've never been a victim. I don't allow myself to be a victim. So why would I group with other people, get pepper sprayed and beat with clubs for standing on a corner or crossing a boundary? Whether you think that the, the police officers in those individual cities have the right or not to do it, these people are putting themselves in that situation knowing that that's a potential outcome. They know that they're going to put themselves as victim. They are literally being martyrs for a cause. And that is very unsatanic. And that is something that I am absolutely against in all forms. I believe in the preservation of my life and the preservation of my desire. And you cannot do that if you're dead or if you're beaten. Uh, it's just not a reality. So I will not be a victim if I see... Um, if I see things happening that I don't agree with, I will go 
through the legal processes to change what I am capable of changing. I will talk with other people who share the same ideals and see what we can through the legal avenues available to us. Do what we can. But I'm not going to be a martyr, and I'm definitely not going to be a victim. And I think all these people going out there knowing what's going to happen to them, instigating it, for what? You have your statements. Crossing a illegal manufactured line is not going to change that. It's not going to emphasize that. And it's certainly not going to get you anything you want. I may be proven wrong. I don't think I will be. They're going to continue to be tased, maced, smacked with clubs, and their movement is going to be as powerful, potentially, as the Tea Party, which is not that powerful. And they may have some good ideals. Okay, I I understand. I um, I have a lot of libertarian ideas. I think that I should be able to do what I want without um, the oppression of government. However, I understand also that there have to be, as I stated before, laws that we all adhere to collectively. You know, we have to understand that. We can't all do whatever the hell we want because there are consequences to a structured society. Now, if you don't want to live in a structured society and you just want to have some weird commune, well, you know what? You can go in the middle of Montana or you can go to some random town <laughs> it's okay with stuff like that and do that. I don't care. Uh, be a hippie for anyone. Uh, I, I prefer to be a part of modern society and to change it through the legal system rather than through the victim system. Meet success on your own two feet, staring it in the eye. Don't try to look for success on your back. Success doesn't look at his feet. It's always in the eye. You have to stand to do that. That's the weird little analogy there, but I think I think what I meant is understood. Let's go on to the next one. Romney deflects questions on faith. And this is from the Wall Street Journal. Politics, October 10th, 2011, by Patrick O'Connor. Oh, Patrick O'Connor. For all the words spoken about Mitt Romney... Okay. For all the words spoken about Mitt Romney's Mormon faith over the past few days, the Republican presidential candidate offered only six indirect lines of his own, telling an audience of mostly Christian activists that poisonous language doesn't advance the conservative cause. Mr. Romney employed the scalpel approach to safeguard the public image he has sought to build, centering almost entirely on his credentials to turn the economy around. The decision to deflect questions about his religion also marked the latest example of a lesson Mr. Romney learned from the 2008 race, when the first-time White House candidate peddled shifting messages and felt the need to address his religion directly in a speech at Texas A&M. This year, the former Massachusetts governor is running a more focused campaign with a leaner, more disciplined staff that pitches his business resume as uniquely tailored to a time of economic unease. After all, the candidate and his campaign have shown a reluctance to address issues that deviate from the message. The latest flap over Mormonism erupted Friday at the Values Voter Summit, a gathering of Christian conservatives in Washington, D.C., Dallas pastor Richard Jeffress introduced Texas Governor Rick Perry, Mr. Romney's top rival, as a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, and said religious conservatives would have a choice to make between a candidate who is conservative out of convenience or one who is conservative out of deep conviction. 
after Mr. Perry's speech, Mr. Jeffers told reporters that the most evangelical Christians believe Mormonism is a cult and wouldn't accept Mormons as part of the Christian family. Mr. Perry and his campaign have since sought to distance the Texas governor from the pastor's remarks. The government does not believe Mormonism is a cult, Perry spokesman Mark Weiner said. On Sunday, other rivals for the nomination also dismissed questions about Mr. Romney's religion. Minnesota Republican Michelle Bachman, who was hoping to revive her campaign by telling voters to pick a nominee who was deeply committed conservative, said on CNN's State of the Union that the issue was inconsequential. On CBS's Face of the Nation, Atlanta businessman Herman Cain said, We are not running for theologian-in-chief. Mr. Romney isn't the only Mormon in contest. He's joined by former Utah governor John Huntsman Jr. A Romney aide said the candidate had no plans to address the issue of his religion further because he spoke extensively about it in his first race and gave the speech on religion. Polls have suggested some Americans were leery of a Mormon becoming president, and Mr. Jeffress wasn't the first evangelical Christian to show hostility to the religion. A June poll in Quinnipiac University found 36% of voters were somewhat or entirely uncomfortable with a Mormon president. Only atheists and Muslims triggered more discomfort. But the same survey showed Mr. Romney leading the GOP field, suggesting the issue alone wasn't enough to deny him the nomination. And the Christian conservative activists attending the Values Voters Summit generally said they would support Mr. Romney if he were the Republican candidate. At the summit, the closest Mr. Romney got to the Mormon issue was to criticize a speaker who followed him on stage. He didn't give the speaker's name, but an aide said Mr. Romney was referring to Brian Fisher, a conservative activist who had questioned whether Mormons are Christians. Poisonous language does not advance our cause, Mr. Romney said. The task before us is to focus on the conservative beliefs and the values that unite us. He told some attendees to remember that decency and civility are values too. The audience applauded Mr. Romney's appeal for civility, but not the same vigor that cheered his condemnation of China's one-child policy or his belief that the Pledge of Allegiance should always include the phrase, under God. The questions Mr. Romney faces now are still a lower volume than four years ago. Then, he was occasionally asked about polygamy and the role the Mormon Church would have on his presidency during conference calls by voters. That led to the Texas A&M speech, which Mr. Romney assured Christians that, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he said he wouldn't allow Mormon Church leaders to influence his decision as president. The bigger danger of Mr. Romney this time would come if the controversy feeds concerns that he isn't conservative enough, doubts that dogged his first campaign. In his Saturday speech, Mr. Romney called for overturning Roe v. Wade, so states could enact limits on abortions and reiterate his vow to uphold a federal law that defines marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Alice Hollard, who attended from Springfield, Virginia, said she favored former Senator Rick Santorum. Mr. Romney is just not a full-blown conservative, she said. He's just not passionate enough. That's the article. Uh, Mr. Romney is a lot like a Ken doll, in my opinion. He's manicured, well-molded on the outside, but he's a piece of plastic with nothing on the inside. I have a unique advantage to talking about Mormons because up until the age of eight, I was a Mormon. I was raised in a Mormon. My family, sad to say, still are Mormons. Uh, and I think it was the Mormon 
outlook that was that I was exposed to helped me realize that I was so vastly different than they. Um, and there are some really absurd notions that the Mormon religion talks about. Um, it's tough because every Islam and Judeo-Christian religion is full of contradiction, absurdity, um, nonsense. The Mormon religion is nothing less than that. But what I think you find in modern religions, modern organized religions, is that they're either based in reality, and this, this okay, so this is a broad brush, I'm, I'm swiping across all religions, actually. It's either based in reality, Satanism and human behavior, or it's based in fear and desire, in, in wishful thinking. Um, a heaven or a, a great life that happens after you die that reflects on your behavior. Uh, I don't think we as human beings need something like that, as you well know, um, to define morality. And I think that there are more consequences to benefit of people or to people, and certainly to society as a whole, uh, of, of beliefs in a Islamic Judeo-Christian uh, religion. But Mormonism isn't that much crazier than any of the other ones. It is crazy. Uh, they do believe in the same bullshit, uh, but it's not that much different. So, we have to accept that we are going to end up, because this is the way America is, uh, we are going to end up with some form of Islamic Judeo-Christian religious individual as a president for at least another 50 years. Um, until religion is dead and gone, there's no way that we're going to have an atheist um, up in there or, <laughs> cross your fingers, uh, a Satanist up in there. Um, but it is something that we have to understand that is a reality. What I have a hard time with is qualifying. Because they are this, they will no matter what be that. So because Mr. Romney is a Mormon, he will always do X rather than Y in any given situation. And I just can't accept that that's a reality. Uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, past Protestant religious leaders. We have um, Catholic religious leaders. And we have a lot of people who would like to run um, that are just as fanatical, evangelical, and crazy as um, the Taliban, quite literally. So, you know, you, you have to sort of look past all this. If you are going to participate in the um, voting system, you are either going to have to make a decision to yourself. I will support someone with only partial ideals I agree with, where I will not support anyone without 100% of ideals I, I agree with. And once you've made that decision for yourself, once you're comfortable with that, you have to evaluate people based on what they say. And that's why politics is so crazy, because politicians say one thing and then do another. You really have to educate yourself if you're going to... It, it's really a lot like a horse race or a dog race uh, or any type of race. <laughs> you do the best you can about educating yourself about the horse you're betting on. 
about what they're eating, um, their exercise habits, their health, um, their past potential injuries, um, their trainer, uh, their lineage. You find out every little thing that you can and after that, you make an educated decision. It may not be the right one in the long run, but at least you educated yourself and you tried it, if that's what you choose to do. Uh, and that's what we all have to come down to at some point. So, um, okay, I, I'm not ever, ever going to vote for Mitt Romney, but let's just say, for a hypothetical situation, uh, that he is the only rational um, alternative to um, an Obama administration that has never gone along with what they said they would. Well, then I would have to start finding parts that I agree with in him or in Obama. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. If you're gonna if you're gonna participate, you have to sort of take the the, the lesser of two evils, or don't participate. Uh, and and so you just can't make a carte blanche swash saying, okay, well, because he's a Mormon, he's gonna you know be more or less conservative, and that that's gonna be more or less of a draw. Educate yourselves about these people. You know, go a little bit deeper. Find out about their history, policy decisions. Find out about their current ones. Find out why they changed. Um, because there's usually always a reason. It usually always has to do with money or election. Um, which, are they separate? <laughs> That's it for the Infernal Informant. Uh, let's take a short break here. We'll jump right into the creature feature with the interview with Heather of Keepers. And um, that will conclude the show. See you on the other side. I am Matt, host of Deep Six Radio. And I am in Russ. Yes, we are. So if you want to be one of the six taking on the oh-so-lovely Idris and want to be featured on the show... Send your emails... And MP3s... To us at... Deep6... At RadioFreeSatan.com Include a bio... And anything you want mentioning on air... We are open to any genre... Apart from rap... Deep6 also includes a fine selection of alternative rock... As well as multiple other genres... So why not jump on the roller coaster? That is Deep6 Radio... Deep6 is available on... RadioFreeSatan.com And also iTunes... A week later, we, we look, look forward, forward to, to you joining us. End of the line. Hello, my name's Dave Ingram. And I'm Donovan. And we are Metal Breakfast Radio. Inviting you to join us with a few beers each week. For a dose of metal scrutiny. Some verbal skullduggery. And a hell of a lot of rubbish. Rubbish! Find us on metalbreakfastradio.com, darksentinel.dk, and radiofreesatan.com. are different than cats and hey what if jack nicholson were hey what if we are the world was sung by the cast of friends i think it might go something like this 
everyone, I'm Jay Leno. Anyone remember when I was funny? Eat Doritos. Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses? Sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before? Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. Are you looking for music from the 80s and the new wave post-punk and other hits? Jay Nothing, the host of The Metro, will take you back to the 80s with songs that made the decade of me so memorable. Get the weekly updates at RadioFreeSatan.com and remember, Hail Satan. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She is swamp water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as a last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to Creature Feature. Today I have a very special guest, and a very good friend of mine, actually, Heather Ruiz. And we're going to be talking today about not only her own crafts, but her own company with her crafts. That's right, Keepers. And if you haven't heard of it, you're going to hear about it now. Heather, thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me, Adam. All right, so a little bit of a background here for the the listeners. I've known you, I think, for eight years or so through your husband. I've had the privilege of watching you work, uh, and i got to tell you, it's something to behold. Uh, For for those of you who are unfamiliar, when you think of um, a, a young woman working in a sort of wood shop as if it was a mad science laboratory... I mean, she is fanatical in the attention to detail, and uh, just uh-huh. the amount of focus that she has when she's working is, is astounding. Uh, so I was always interested because of the level of focus that you exhibited. Uh, obviously meant that you appreciated what you're doing, and you were uh, really attentive to uh, the customers that you had. So when you first or when I first learned that you actually had started your own company and you were selling products successfully um, I was not surprised at all uh, but more interested and I think some of my audience might be interested in the story and maybe even some of your products so I wanted to have you on before we start talking about keepers specifically let's talk a little bit about the woman behind the company (laughs) when were you first exposed to crafting crafting um, when I was young little girl I got into my mother's little craft box and she never did anything with it because she um, had five kids and so she never had time to craft and so I found this box of like 
blue and uh, rose pins and glitter. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> glitter! And, <laughs> and then um, that's how that started. <laughs> <laughs> so I can only imagine a young Heather with glitter everywhere just like all in your hair on your skin splattered around the yard did your mom appreciate you finding her craft box um no she i got in trouble actually <laughs> like me touching her crafts because i ruined them all um but i did um make some amazing things with some, some paper and felt and glitter <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's great <laughs> Okay, so when did you realize, when did you take that step from appreciating, sort of playing with it and, and just expressing yourself with the crafts into taking it to more of a passionate, professional level? I have always been trying to find that craft that could make me money. And um, first it was crochet, and then I realized with crochet, you um, can't really make money at that. It takes <laughs> so long to do. <laughs> And then I was working with this thing called Plastic Canvas, which is um, really nerdy and it's kind of embarrassing to say that I work with Plastic Canvas. I'm not familiar uh, with Plastic Canvas at all. Yeah, it shouldn't be. If you Google it, you'll be embarrassed for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, people, like, literally grannies make, like, tissue box holders out of it in yarn with yarn. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> Um, so I found these patterns on eBay that you can make little Barbie furniture out of this plastic canvas. And then I, so I started doing that and then I realized I could upholster this furniture and make it look real. So then I put, I did that and then I put it on eBay thinking, wow, that's, uh, I wonder if someone would buy that. <laughs> um, someone did and they gave me a lot of money for it. <laughs> I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> nice. So this is all um, this is all driven with the idea of making money. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and so on, on a realistic level, um, I can accept that. But I've seen some of this work, and you have a passion for it. I mean, you know, I've seen you work. So there has to be a love of the, I don't know, the process perhaps. Well, I do like Barbies. I've, I've always loved Barbies and miniatures, and I've um, I would always play with Barbies anyway. It's fun, and I get to um, buy some really fun tools that I get to work with, and it's something that I've found comes um, easy for me to do. Mm -hmm. And I get to use all my crafts, like with beads and the fabric and sewing, and and it's a little bit of everything. Nice. And I, you know, being someone relatively unfamiliar with it, it's always amazing to me what's actually involved in it. Like, like the, it's not just putting a nail in wood as I would do if I tried to do something like that. I mean, there's genuine skill, and it's, it's funny because I, I, I distinctly remember your husband and I drinking and barbecuing, and um, you working in the background, and it's like. It's like uh, a PBS Bob Vila special. <laughs> like, but instead of Bob Vila, it's a, a young woman. So it's, it's very, 
it's it's shocking the amount of attention to detail there is. Um, because I remember you complaining that you know sometimes you had to work extremely hard at trying to get something to look right or to feel right. So there, you know, there's that authenticity that goes along with it as well. Yeah. Well, I think the hard part about it is everything I've been making, I do um, the exact same way you would build real furniture. I just do it smaller. So if there's not a, uh, when I, when I do a router bit for wood, like if there's not a router bit for that, you know, like there is large router bits for big furniture, um, I have to improvise and kind of um, work around that. So that's the hard part, just not having the tools available to make what I want, but I just make everything. And I think it's fascinating, too, because you, you're using, like, full-blown, like, shop belt sanders and saws. and I mean, you're using, like, massive-scale equipment industrial scale equipment for this tiny delicate uh, furniture and and houses and stuff it's, it's it's really amazing all right so let's talk about keepers specifically here what prompted you to create keepers versus just sort of selling them under your own name oh well I didn't want it to sound like um, like all granny like Heather's crafts or something I wanted to sound official <laughs> 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 gone over names and some of them was like Heather's treasures. <laughs> nice. It, it was just sounded too crafty. I don't, I wanted people taking seriously as like more of an artist instead of something just, you know, like a house mom would put together some crafts yeah. and fill them. So we were trying to think of something that would be, um, that would portray like quality and something that these are toys, but that you want to keep around for a long time. Like, you know, so without keepers, you keep it for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes perfect sense. That's <laughs> All right, so we've established that you offer a product that it will last generations, and it is really centric around the idea of sort of um, an heirloom uh, quality. Can you tell the audience what variety of product you offer and that you create? Yeah, so, I mean, it's not just furniture, right? Oh, don't you know. have some snowmen? <laughs> mm. oh, I, That's one uh, of my questions. <laughs> I um, sell just the furniture. Um, and then just whatever is, is fun for me. But, I mean, the furniture is the stuff that sells. And, like, um, people actually, people have been asking for pet beds. <laughs> oh, really? Like, I, I had posted a picture of um, my cat that had just came and sat down on this bed. It was so cute, so I posted it, and people said, I would buy a pet bed, but it was a real bed, so people said they would buy that, so I thought maybe I could sell that, too. So it's not just for Barbie. I crochet. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, because you say it like that, but I, you know, you crocheted this, um, I don't know what you would call it, this this sort of uh, dress for my baby. Was it? It was a layette. That's a layette? Okay, see, I don't even know the terms here. Um, but it was beautiful. I mean, and, and you know, my daughter looked amazing in it, and it, it's one of those things where you know she's going to be holding onto that when she grows up, and hopefully, uh, you know, puts it on her daughter and stuff. So, oh, you still have it? Yeah. Oh well, I that well, that's what kind of sucks for me is because I really would like to focus on Barbies because that's what, what I like is Barbies. But 
but I realize I have to kind of give what people will pay for. And um, so a lot of people have approached me saying that they want to do like the 18-inch doll for American Girl, mm-hmm. which I think is totally cool because still, it's still a doll, so I'm okay with doing that. And I'll, I mean, I'll make pet beds. Making them all cute, like I can, I can imagine Barbie and being her, you know, one six scale, you know, thinking, well, if I was one six scale, you know, this is this is how big this would have to be, and so that's kind of how when I'm designing a piece of furniture, I, I'll hold my hand up to like my furniture and think, well, this is how big this drawer is, so this is how big, you know, this drawer needs to be on the Barbie furniture, but for dogs. Let, let, let me describe what I have and I'm looking at here. I'm looking at a, a photograph you've taken of a bed you've made, presumably for the, the dolls that you traditionally build for. But your cat has actually curled <laughs> up on the bed and yeah. is looking at you like, oh, thanks, Mom. Was, <laughs> I, you, I was, was trying to determine if she actually thought it was a real bed or if she just thought, oh, that looks comfy place to sit. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Like, it's just sitting there, like, totally, like, kicking back and enjoying it. Okay, so let me talk specifically about commissioned work. When considering new items, do you ever factor in difficulty or time into whether you're going to be able to create it or not? Um. Well, yeah, I, um, I like doing commissioned work because then I can get what people like and what they want. Mm-hmm. The hard part about someone for asking for something is that um, if I can't tell what they're thinking. Right. And so I don't know what they're expecting or, but it's nice to get new ideas and see what people want. Um, one lady had actually asked me, I had made a bedroom set for her and then she asked me if I could do an armoire with it. And I hadn't done one before, but I figured, you know, it's like any furniture, you just make it the same way. And so I told her yes, which um, can is one of the best ways to challenge yourself is just by saying that you can do something, <laughs> even if you have not <laughs> So, and then I took her money, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so then I made an armoire, and it was it it took me about two weeks because um, I couldn't get the uh, the hinges to work properly, and it was very frustrating, but. I'm, I'm glad I, I took the money because he had already paid for it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, so I figured out a way to do it. Because you can't just take it, take it back and like, I never, here's your money back. I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah, no, not at all. And that is another point about this that I think is fascinating is that you know, you're not just making a box that looks like an armoire. You're making a working armoire. <laughs> I mean, that's at 1 16th scale, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. Thank you. It's one six. That's... I'm sorry. <laughs> I should be. It's okay. Flawed. I just don't let it happen again. <laughs> uh, point is, it, it's just it's it's amazing uh, what you can do at such a small scale. What while people are struggling to make things life size, <laughs> it just it seems amazing. Okay, so really, with the right tool, you can do anything. It's just a matter of having. Um, the, the tool that you need, do it. Because I really would like to start building like um, wrought iron pieces, and so I have to start to learn how to weld. Whoa. Which um, sounds really scary, but I'm, I mean, it's just welding. 
Yeah. People do it all the time. It's just your husband burning his hand off because you get angry. <laughs> <laughs> it happens all the time. <laughs> well, and, and that's that's sort of fantastic too, is that, you, that you're willing to challenge yourself and grow with, you know, just this 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 thing that started with you just stumbling upon your mom's craft box. I think that's amazing. If someone was to want to commission a piece from you, whether it's a doll, whether it's a piece of jewelry, whether it's a piece of crocheting work, um, their, their infant or a, a blanket or scarf or whatever, if someone wants to commission work from you, what's the best way to get a hold of you to do that? Um, I guess it would be through Facebook. That's, I have a website, it's keeperstore.com, but I don't know how to run it, and I don't know how to add photos or anything like that. I know how to run the Facebook page, which is, you just look on um, Facebook, it's just under Keepers, and you can become a fan and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can just send me an email. Yeah, but I mean, I don't, this isn't a really like a full-time job for me right now. I just do things more as like, I feel inspired to do something. Or I get creative, like I see a room and I think I want to duplicate that, and then I'll make it, and then and then I sell it. So, but I would have liked to eventually make this like a full time job when my kids are in school. I don't want to have to go get a job again because I think with a lot of like I googled miniature artists on the internet, and I mean they're they're all in mostly in their like fifties and sixties. They've been working on it for decades. So they've been working on it for decades. So that just goes to say that you have like a leg up on them because you started so much younger than they did, and your hands are all shaky from palsy and age. <laughs> <laughs> so the quality's got to be better, right? <laughs> all right. So what is the target market you have? What what is the demographic that you focus as a client as as a customer? Uh, my demographic, actually, I would love for people to buy this for their little girls to play with. Um, right now, it's um, mostly collectors that are buying it, but I would love for little girls to play with it and have, um, I want to be building the, the entire houses fully decorated, um, and instead of having, like, the, the pink plastic furniture that it's not real, I want, I think it would be really cool to have, um, to go into someone's house and kind of duplicate their decor, but and then have it in their own little Barbie house that they get to play with with their kids. I think that would be fun. Wow, yeah. Okay, so everything I make, it resembles the furniture in my house, and that may be because that's just where I get inspiration from. I can look at a, a piece and think, well, that's how you would you know, make that. Where's the best place for people to view some of the products you have currently for sale? Uh, or your past projects? They can go to my Facebook page, and then everything I sell right now is just as a live auction on eBay. Okay, how would you like to see Keepers grow in the future? If you can look down the road 10, 15 years from now, what is your ideal state Keepers in? I would love to be making completely furnished, realistic houses that are fully decorated, have complete rooms for each. How, how long do you think it would... Do you have an average amount of time it takes to craft an armoire? I mean, it seems like to create an entire house would be 
a month or more of process. Oh, okay. I actually have a story about this one. Go. Um, so I've been trying to um, simplify the process of making each piece because I want to be able to duplicate things. I know where this is going. You hired illegals. No, I didn't. Oh, but, sorry. No, I didn't mean to interrupt. That's <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so I had actually, because I work with um, a lot of wood, and I work with MDF, which is kind of a, a wood that doesn't have any grain in it. So you can pretty much make whatever you want with it. You don't have to worry about grain size or um, anything or knots or anything. So I was trying to make a way to duplicate pieces to where it wasn't taking me, you know, a whole day just to make a bed or a whole day just to make an armoire. So I came up with this system of cutting out these wood pieces. And I was feeling so clever thinking I invented this wood cutting system. And I went online, and someone already invented it. Oh. That was like a story as I was hoping it was going to be. <laughs> That's my process. <laughs> so anyway, now that I've now that I have the system where you can just cut out, you know, I I cut out a hundred pieces for this uh, a dresser in one night, Whoa. and then it's just a matter of gluing them together and you know painting them. So now. I can probably assemble, now it's just about assembly, so I can assemble all these dressers, probably 50 dressers in a night, Whoa. once you have all the pieces out, which is really cool. Yeah. Wow. So I want to be able to make a lot of them and sell them. So I'm just constantly trying to think of ways to make the same thing, just in uh, more mass production, so I can sell more of it, but at a smaller price. Nice. And I guess that is, the, I mean, that's the core idea of mass production, right? Is is dropping the price um, for the consumer. You also create adult crafts. Now, um, I know this because I have some of them. <laughs> and by adult, I'm meaning uh, um, adult-oriented ornaments in this particular case. So for my winter solstice tree, um, I've picked up from you uh, two little snowmen, a man and a woman, um, genetically exaggerated, yet for snowmen, oddly accurate. <laughs> is there it's any... Funny, you know, I mean, kind of awkward, but my mom, I actually showed this to my mom, and she was like, um, don't you think it's a little big? <laughs> <laughs> it's and a snowman. It's supposed to be big. <laughs> hey, what did you say? Well, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> my mom. <laughs> I'm like, what are you comparing it to? <laughs> don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. <laughs> My mom felt it was inaccurate, size-wise. <laughs> I, I did grab these. Um, you, you were generous enough to make those ornaments for us, which are hilarious and wonderful, and we have them on our tree. Like your every... actual in your in your home? Yes, every year. Always, okay. it's. I've amazing. given those actually to a couple different people, and I don't think people display them. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm, but you know, I'm I'm the guy who has the alligator eating the woman on his dinner table. So. Oh yeah, that is creepy. <laughs> Maybe it's not so weird to hear, uh, but if there's something like that, so, uh, you know, a, a goofy ornament. If someone provides you with um, uh, inspirational imagery. Are you willing to take on virtually any craft project? Oh, well, of course. Crafting is, is fun. So anytime you get to be creative. 
I'm going to say one of my favorite pieces of yours that I have is a bookmark that you made. So it's sort of this um, uh, bead slash gemstone, which actually has an eerie resemblance to maybe even like a rosary or something, but it's for a, a bookmark. And it's it's really a ridiculously elegant piece that I, I put in some of my uh, most treasured books yeah. as bookmarks, like ritual books and stuff like that. And the quality is amazing. So if anyone out there is interested in um, a quality piece of uh, um, a quality bookmark or uh, earrings or, or necklaces or anything like that, you're quite capable of doing that too. That's correct. Hey, actually, no, I was actually just thinking about those bookmarks because um, I have made, I love making those because it involves beads, which I love beads. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just, there's just so many things you can make with beads. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not so I'm much. Looking, as, I'm looking right now at a wall of beads. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> wow. That's uh, a lot. So I'm not so much into making jewelry, only because I don't really wear too much of it. So I don't really, I've never inspired to make something jewelry-wise. But those bookmarks, like, that's the one thing I've made myself that I actually use. So I like making others. Nice. Well, I got to tell you, Heather, it's it's been a true pleasure talking to you. We don't get to do this enough uh, since you moved into that horrid, horrid southern state. But, <laughs> um, but. I, I think uh, my audience will be fascinated by what you have done and are capable of doing. And I always love talking to another artist that I respect. So thank you for your time. Uh, and thank you for joining me. Uh, and I know this isn't necessarily for you, but until next time, hail Satan. That's going to do it for another show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Undercroft Facebook, Twitter, MySpace page for 9 Cents and get updated on weekly topics. You can also listen to the show through Radio Free Satan or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. Uh, or subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit undercroft at satanet.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine Satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit Radio Free Satan, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan! Hail Satan!